I was reading a verse of scripture the other day as I was praying for our students from John chapter 21. I want to talk to you about you being you. When I read this verse of scripture and I've, it was my devotional time, it wasn't necessarily for my, my uh, sermon prep time, but just in my devotional time, Peter was noticing one of the other disciples in John 20 and 21, and he said, Master, what's going to happen to him? Haven't we all asked that question from time to time? What's going to happen to this one? What's going to happen to that one? Maybe you were looking at these students this morning, and maybe Dell and Lisa, you were looking at Ryan going, I wonder what's going to become of his life. I wonder what he's going to do with his life. Ryan's over there nodding his head like he's already been asked that question a few times. Maybe, Adam, you're in the back, but you were watching your daughter on camera this morning, and you were wondering, what is God going to do with E. Katarina's life? And I got to confess, Jimmy, I know your mama's sitting with you, but I was sitting over here going, God, you've got big things in store for that boy's life. He has really applied himself, and I'm so proud of you, pal. I want you to know that. And yet, when Peter asked this very common question, Jesus looks at Peter and says, if I want him to live until I come again, what's that to you? That doesn't sound very nice, does it? <laughs> I mean, it's like you ask your wife a question, and she goes, what's that to you? I'm telling you, tension would rise just a little bit in my house. And I can tell you that if I said to Becky, and she asked me a question, she says, what's that to you? I would be sleeping in the doghouse, and we don't even have a doghouse. Jesus looks at this one Peter in his inner circle and says, what's that to you? You follow me. You follow me. You know, God created you. It's been said so often that maybe you miss it. Maybe you just take it for granted. And I, I kind of despise those trite little sayings that come along in life that people say so often they don't even think about it anymore. But God does have a wonderful plan for your life. He really does. He's got a wonderful plan that includes healing. He's got a wonderful plan that includes direction. He's got a wonderful plan that includes forgiveness of your sins and a brand new life. He's got a wonderful plan of, of prospering you. And, and especially as one of our students put up on the screen this morning, as you commit your work to the Lord and you work hard for him, God promises that he will cause you to prosper both when you're going in and you're going out. But the key is you're not trying to be somebody else. You're not trying to be Elon Musk. You're not trying to be Bill Gates. You're not trying to be me. You're not trying to be anybody else. You want to be who God created you to be. You follow me. As a matter of fact, I would even say it like this. Don't even worry about what the church is doing. You follow Jesus because if we all follow Jesus, the church will be exactly what it's supposed to be. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? If we all follow Jesus... The Apostle Paul, thinking about this and writing to another church who was struggling with some identity issues, he wrote these words in Galatians chapter 4. We are his children. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to cry out, Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Boy, that's a powerful verse in and of itself. The intimacy with God that word Abba, it's the equivalent, our English word equivalent of that would be daddy or dada. This week, Christopher and Rachel and Becky and I were 
messaging back and forth. We're drooling over the pictures of our fourth grandson, and we're looking at little bear growing up. And, and I texted to Christopher just kind of as an encouragement. I said, you know, the first words all three of you boys said was, Dada. Not mama, but Dada. He texted me back, and he says, I hope it's still true, but Rachel wants it to be mama. <laughs> I said, oh, no, there is an affinity between a boy and his father. There is an affinity there. And so, Bear, please don't let me down here, son. I went out on the line for you. You know, there's this affinity and to Dada. My daughter grabbed me and gave me a big hug this week, and she squeezed me. She's 30 years old, and she says, Daddy. And my heart lit up. Before my father died, I would grab him, hug him, kiss him, call him daddy. There's this affection there. Of course, my dad called me aside when he knew that he was getting ready to die. And he talked about a number of things that had to do with his estate and things of that nature. And we talked and he clapped his hand upon my shoulder and says, I'm so proud of you three kids. I'm so proud of what you've done. You see, to be an heir of someone means you inherit much more than an estate. You inherit an identity. You inherit who you are. So, Haley, I looked at you this morning singing so beautifully, and I, I missed one of those daddy days. You'll forgive me, Scott and Danette. But I thought to myself, if those guys aren't proud, they need to be smacked. I mean, looking at Haley up here singing and worshiping the Lord this morning. Of course I'm impressed with the other adults up here, but I'm impressed when students capture an identity. I am not just somebody. I belong to somebody, and his name is Jesus. And when they sing the songs of faith, that identity begins to flow through. So I want to say something to you this morning. Be true to who God created you to be. Be true to who God created you to be. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't even try to let the world force you or make you fit into its image or its form. Be true to who you are. Now, that means be true to your personality. That means be true to your heart, what you love to do. That means be true. Learn from the experiences you've had in life. As I looked at these three graduates this morning, They've not only had some really high times in their life. You know, I couldn't have said that in the 70s, could I? <laughs> only you baby boomers get that. They've had some really good times in their life, and they've had some really low times in their lives. And I sat here looking at them again, thanking God for their story, for their faith, for their testimonies. Be true to the experiences in your life because God did not allow you to pass through those painful experiences without a purpose in teaching you, helping you to learn, not so that you would be hard, so that you would be tender, so that you would be compassionate. And you can be strong and be tender at the same time. Moses was a perfect example of that. Never has a stronger leader outside of Jesus Christ walked the face of the earth than Moses himself Yet he was a tender-hearted and gentle man. President Bill Clinton making a speech about DNA and what we were learning in those days, he said these words, 99.9% .9 of our DNA is similar to the genetic makeup of everyone else. That 
one-tenth of a percent difference of the sequencing in those 3.1 billion letters embedded in your cells is what makes you uniquely you. Today, we are learning the language in which God created life. We're gaining ever more awe for the complexity, the beauty, the wonder of God's most divine and sacred gift. To go on talking about DNA, Dr. Francis Collins, who I've referred to before, is a passionate follower of Jesus. He's also the, the head of the National Institute of Health for the United States government. He wrote, it is humbling for me and all inspiring to realize that we have caught the first glimpse of our own instruction book previously known only to God. You see, that tiny little percent that makes you different from everybody else, God did shape you, if I can borrow the words of President Clinton, who borrowed the words of a, of a man from Atlanta, Georgia, who wrote a book on this called Uniquely You. It makes you uniquely who you are. The Bible tells us, now listen, the Bible tells us don't overlook the day of small beginnings. Don't take for granted the small beginnings. And you might think that tiny tenth of percent in your life that is not significant enough to make a difference. It made a difference in Abraham Lincoln's life coming from an abject life of poverty. It made a difference in George Washington Carver's life, the son of a slave who saved the South from starvation after the war between the states. You see, that little bit of difference in your life that God has encoded into you, it's not the product of evolution. It's not a mistake. You are who God created you to be. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Never forget that. Never forget for one moment that God created you and why he created you. He created you for his glory. God didn't create you for, to live a life of happiness, a life of peace, a life of joy, or a life of love. He created you for his glory. Now, here's the secret. If you will live for the glory of God, you will experience love and peace and joy. You will experience all those things that people seek after, but you find them in Christ. It's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, so whatever you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Dr. Gilreath, I've not had my hamburger this week. Have you had yours? Was it good? Did you eat it for the glory of God? You're, now you are. <laughs> Once a week, I eat a hamburger and french fries. I hadn't had it yet, baby. I don't know what we're having. Oh, I do know what we're having for lunch. Never mind, I don't want a hamburger. I like to dug a big hole right there. But once a week I eat that hamburger, and when I eat that hamburger, all because I know that at 65 years old, you're not supposed to eat a lot of hamburgers. I look at that hamburger, and then I look at the Lord, and I say, Father, you created this cow for your glory. And now, Lord, I'm going to eat this cow for your glory. And thank you, because you see, there was a time in my life there was a time in my life where my greatest goal, I had a scholarship to the University of Georgia, a full-paid scholarship. I wanted to study law and make enough money so I could raise cattle. That was my goal and dream in life until God laid his hand upon me and called me to do what I'm doing. You see, at some point in your life, 
you're going to have to come to the decision, are you going to be who God created you to be? Because you don't want to be that popular kid in school. You don't want to be that track star. You don't want to be that football star. You may be that football star, and you may be that track athlete. But be who you are, not because you envy somebody else's life so much. Be who you are because you feel like maybe your family or your upbringing or your background somehow or another is not enough. You are right where God wanted you to be this morning, even if you're watching online this morning. You're where God wanted you to be to hear this message. So learn to live and thrive in your relationship with God. There's more than just existing, and there's more than just going through the discipline of having a family devotion or having a quiet time before the Lord, but you can not only live in Christ, but you can thrive in Christ. You can grow in His grace. The Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, I hope you're watching The Chosen. I am just eagerly waiting the next episode to come out. I've watched them all over again. I hope you're watching this wonderful depiction, even though there's some things read in between the lines to make the story become real. I hope you're watching this. Because as I sat in my lazy boy the other night watching the episode again, before I clicked on that particular episode, I said, Jesus, help me to see with new eyes. Help me to hear with new ears. Help me to be sure that I'm tracking not just with the scriptures and not being entertained. And suddenly as I watched the compassion and the gentleness, but the strength of our Lord and Savior manifested. It hit me all of a sudden. I grabbed up my iPad. I changed this point because what I want you to know is the same Christ who walked this earth, casting out devils, healing the sick, sending down the authorities and the powers of this world, unseen and unseen. That is the Christ who lives in you and I today. Hallelujah. He lives within us. It makes that old hymn that we sing sometimes at Easter. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives with me. He walks with me. He talks with me. Live and thrive, growing your relationship with Christ. One of our students who is now a surgeon talked to me one time at my extension office at the Big Bear that will be opening again soon. I asked him through his med school, tell me, did you thrive in your relationship? He said, Pastor, I grew like you wouldn't believe. I grew. He said, my faith was attacked. He said, my faith was challenged. He said, Pastor, I did three things that really made a difference. He said, I, number one, he said, I went to Pastor Rick Warren's church every week. He said, number two, I listened to your sermon every week it was posted. And he said, number three, I never failed to have a daily devotion. He said, I grew in Christ. Now, beloved, I want you to hear me this morning. You can thrive. You can grow 
If your religion is stead, if you're if stayed, if your if your faith has grown cold, if you don't feel as close to God as you used to feel, God is not the one that is moved. Draw close to him, the book of Hebrews says. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Let's give him another hand of praise this morning. <laughs> Next thing I'd say to you is decide to be an influencer. Decide to be an influencer. I had a long conversation with somebody this week who wanted to tell me, he says, influence is manipulation. Influence is not manipulation. I said, I will always admit I'm attempting to persuade. And they go, oh, no, no, that's manipulation. You should just let people make up their own minds. And I said, what a ridiculous statement in the world we live in. People make up their own minds? Everybody's trying to persuade you of something. GM wants to persuade you they've got a better car than Ford. Ford wants to persuade you they've got a better car than Chrysler. And all three of them want to persuade you they've got a better car than the Japanese and the Koreans. And you're not a real American if you don't buy American. Oh, don't get quiet on me now. (sighs) I was at a dealership looking at a car, and I said, how much of this car is made in America? He says, it's put together in America. (laughs) You see, everybody's trying to persuade you of something. Matter of fact, I listen to drug prescriptions on the TV sometime when I'm watching a game, and all of a sudden, I've got something I didn't even know I had. And they tell me all the stuff that I've got, and and if I take this medicine, and then as the comedian Jeff Foxworthy says, after they tell me all the side effects of the medicine, I'd rather die with what I've got than experience the side effects. You see, everybody is constantly trying to persuade you of something. So you need to decide you're going to become an influencer. How do you do that? Look with me again at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I could go on. Here's the thing. If you will live that kind of life, you will have a life of influence. You say, Pastor... Okay, I want to live that kind of life. How do I do that? Live and thrive in Jesus. Live and thrive in Jesus. When you plant something, it doesn't struggle to grow. It just responds to the sunlight and the soil and the fertilizer that is there. You don't watch a peach tree straining to have peaches. You don't watch an apple tree straining. It just just happens. Now, there are going to be seasons, listen, there are going to be seasons that you go through where you may not be very influential. Or some melancholy person will come along and look at your bare branches at that time, because we all go through those seasons. They'll look at your bare branches and go, oh, you're just like my life, dead and fruitless. We're all going to die. And they'll write a poem about that. And melancholy people will buy it. And then somebody, the National Arts Institution and Humanities will say, oh, this is such profound. I'm going to say, wake up. Springtime is coming. It takes a little longer in Michigan, but it gets here. (laughs) And when it comes, life bursts in and life begins to flower and to flourish. And all of the little butterflies and bees come back and fruit begins to set. And we have another harvest. You see, it's not the people who sit around melancholy that make life happen. 
It's the people who are full of love and joy and peace, and they're good to other people. They're good whether they're good to you or not. And that's one of the things about our Savior you've got to know. Jesus was good to people whether they liked him or whether they hated him. Jesus loved people whether they liked him or whether they hated him. And I got to tell you, friends, when you live that kind of life, you will be an influencer. And John Maxwell loves to define leadership as influence. And then finally this morning before we do our growth work, get equipped to share your faith. Get equipped. Your story matters right where you're at right now. Your story matters and what you say to people, how you live your life. When they ask you why you're so full of love, why you're so peaceful, why you're so joyful, a couple of weeks ago, I told you about an unusual compliment I got walking into the store, and it gave me an opportunity to share the love of Jesus Christ. Now, when I go back into that store, I've got not just that friend, I've got another friend. They want to come over and talk to me when I go into that store. So I don't go into that store unless I've got about 15 minutes to spare. You see, when you live that kind of life and you take every opportunity to share your story, your leafless days, your bare branch days, as well as your fruitful days. You see, people who are going through those times of life where there is no fruit, where there is no fruit, one of the prophets wrote about that one time. He said, though there be no cattle in the stall, there though be no fruit on the vine, I'm still going to worship the Lord. You see, I don't worship God because he healed me, he prospered me, I don't worship God even because he saved me. I worship God because that little 10% of DNA difference in me screams out, there is a God. There is a God who manifests himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he created me to be a man. And he created me and allowed me to go through some very difficult times but I learned if you can stand the pulling, he will pull you through. And then he gave me everything that everyone said was impossible, including the ability to speak, including the ability to project, including the stamina to stand up and do what I do. He gave me a wife. He gave me four beautiful children. God was so good to me, not because I loved him, not because I chose to accept him as my Savior. He would have been good to me whether I hated him or despised him because God is good to all. God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. And I want to be able to share that story because if there never were any streets of gold as Andre Crouch, if there never was any gates of pearl, it's been worth it all to know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. And I love, love, love to tell the story of God's amazing grace. <laughs> Hallelujah. Each day I live, it means bearing more fruit in my ministry. And every day, you, if I envy you for anything, look at me, Katarina, Ryan, and Jimmy, look at me. If I envy you for anything, you've got a future. I'm in the fourth quarter. I'm playing hard. I got no thoughts of just sitting on the bench. Don't put me on the bench, coach. I'm playing hard because each day I live means bearing more fruit in my ministry. But I didn't start playing that way in the fourth quarter. I started playing that way before the game ever started. 
And the decisions you're going to make in college are going to determine what you can do in the future. The decisions you make in trade school, the kind of life you live today, the kind of disciplines you develop today, they're going to determine, if Jesus tarries, what your life is like when you're my age or older. So get equipped. Say, how do I do that? I'm glad you asked. I got five quick things I want to share with you. They're already filled out, so just listen close. We stop relying on ourselves, and we learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. That's a hard scripture for me to talk to you about. I've been carried. I've been wheelchaired. I've been toileted. I've been fed many months at a time. I spent three years in a bed. I hate depending on anybody else. I've worked my whole life struggling against something. I'm just being honest with you. So I wouldn't be caught in a place where I had to depend on somebody else. But God will always bring you to a place It doesn't matter how much you've accumulated. It doesn't matter how well you've guarded your health. It doesn't matter how much you know. God will always bring you to a place where you learn it's not about your strength. It's about his strength. He will bring you to the place where you learn to rely upon him. Now listen, I have prayed and fasted for you this week because I want you to get this. I want you to get this. The sooner you learn that lesson, the better your life will be. The sooner you stop trying to make life happen and you learn to rely upon God, the better your life will be. So how do you do that? Number one, learn to learn. Learn what you don't know. When I was your age, I thought I knew everything. When I first started in the ministry, God bless the people who listen to me. God bless the people who listen to me preach. They got a big crown in heaven. (laughs) Learn what you don't know, and then learn how to learn. Secondly, learn the difference between myth and truth. There are a lot of myths out there. I miss the television show Mythbusters. Anybody ever watch that show? I loved it. Learn the difference between myth and truth. There's a myth today, and I'd like to share with you the story of someone that I read this week, and I listened to someone similar just recently. But remember a few weeks ago I told you there were going to be lawsuits about the things that parents and doctors were doing to teenagers who were going through gender dysphoria. Kira Bell was 14 years old when she began to identify as a boy. She was prescribed puberty blockers and testosterone. She underwent a double mastectomy. Now at 23, she again identifies with her biological sex, and she's recently won a lawsuit against those doctors and those surgeons. She says, no one ever tried to challenge what I was thinking. I was stuck in depression and anxiety. I felt out of place in this world. I struggled with being a girl. I thought I was a boy. 
I was never affirmed. I was never affirmed for being a girl. When I questioned my identity, there was no one to support me that I was in the right body fighting to get into a wrong body. And now I live with facial hair. Now I live with a scarred body, all because there was no one there to affirm her. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. That one-tenth of difference in the DNA of every single one of us, it matters because God created you to be you. Do not buy into the popular myths of the time that will damage your life for the rest of your time upon this earth. Do not buy into that. And the third thing I'd say to you this morning is learn to pray. Learn to pray. If you were with me on the prayer service last night, I talked about the fact that so many people they know they ought to pray, but they admit to me all the time, Pastor, it's the hardest thing in the world to pray. One, by, one person recently told me, he said, Pastor, I have an entire shelf of books about prayer, and I still don't pray. <laughs> Maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel that way in this church. Just learn to walk and pray. Learn to live in prayer. Learn to have a conversation with Jesus. You know, it's so much easier today because nobody knows if I'm singing with the radio or talking on my phone, but I talk to him all the time. I got in the car this morning. I was driving over here, and all of a sudden I said, Jesus, I think this is going to be a fun day. He said, did he answer you? I don't know if this was an answer, but I just felt like in my side, in my soul, it was, yep, it's going to be a fun day. You mean God says, yep, he does to me. You're probably too educated to get a Yep. To me, it was like, yep. It's going to be a fun. Learn to walk. Prayer is not something you've got to make difficult. Fourthly, learn what you want to accomplish in this life. See, Pastor, what have you wanted to accomplish? Becky and I wrote it down in 1978. We still have it. We treasure it. We keep it. We wanted to win people to Christ and make disciples of them. Today, we call that making passionate followers of Christ. That's all we've ever lived our lives for. We decided we would be, listen to me, parents. Listen. We decided we would be the best disciplers our children had. We weren't going to wait for a Sunday morning experience to disciple our children. We weren't going to wait for a children's pastor, a youth pastor, or a children's pastor. We were going to be the best disciples they ever had because we wanted them to be passionate followers of Christ. And then finally, I want you to know this. Ekaterina, Jimmy, and Ryan, this church will always love you. When you're fruitful and when the branches bear, when you do good, and when you fail, this church is always going to love you. And this church is always going to be there for you. And I want you to know, don't forget, this is where your anchor is. You may move like other students from our church have all over the world. But this, Lizzie, is where your anchor is. This is where Noah's anchor is. This is where Zach's anchor is. And if you forget where your anchor is, you're going to drift in life. My anchor goes all the way back to a little street 
in the heart of Macon, Georgia, 661 Orange Street. Across the park was Capricorn Studios. Down the park was Washington, down the street was Washington Park. I cut my teeth learning how to witness in those areas. I cut my teeth learning how to pray in those areas. The church building is gone. It's a parking lot now. Most all of those people are gone. It was a small church. But Becky will tell you, there's sometimes I go back there, I park my car, and I walk to where the altar of that church is. And I've had people come to say, are you okay? And I kneel down, and I thank God that there on 661 Orange Street, there was a group of people who loved me, prayed for me, and fasted for me when I was crippled. This church will always love you. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me pray for you. Jesus, what a holy time this is. To witness these students, Lord, as they finish their high school and now they go on to university or trade school. Lord, we thank you for their lives. They are not an accident. You knew them from before the foundation of the world. And God, every one of these students have a story that they've got to learn how to tell. A voice that has to be heard. And Lord, a life goal that they want to accomplish. So I'm asking you, breathe into them. Holy Spirit of God, breathe into them that overwhelming confidence. May they never forget the words of this pastor they've heard all their lives. You can swing across hell on a rotten cornstalk. If you can stand the pulling, God will pull you through. And to look at life and to say, come on, victory. For you have created them to be more than overcomers. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, and I'm talking to you here in the church and those of you listening online. Maybe you haven't crossed the line yet and given your heart to Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never even felt the need to give your heart to Jesus. And today, something's been stirred inside of you. And you go, I want that. I want you to know Jesus wants you more than you want him. You go, I want that life. Jesus wants to give you that life more than you want it. And I'm telling you, your whole life will change if you'll put your trust and faith in him today. So would you pray this prayer with me? I'm just going to look right at the camera. and If you're here in the sanctuary, you can pray with me as well. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you. My life feels pretty bare right now. My life feels pretty fruitless right now. And I am conscious of the fact that I have sinned. That's my errors, that's your errors, moral errors, ethical errors. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So today, 
on June the 6th, 2021, I commit my life to you. Give me a brand new start, a brand new life. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise for those that may have prayed that. I love you. I love you. I love you. God bless you. May he make his face shine upon you. May you reflect all week. There is a tenth of a percent difference in who you are from everybody else, and you go be you in the name of Jesus Christ. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>